It has been 11,059 days since the ADA was passed, and you are parked in the access aisle. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Chris Sparrow, but you can just call me Sparrow, and I am your new host of the Access Isle. Today, we have an incredible interview with Robbie Cop and First Sergeant Walter Sean McDaniel. And stay tuned because afterwards, we got some exciting news for you. So, Robbie, go ahead and take us away. Today on the Access Isle, I'm joined by my guest. Walter Sean McDaniel. He is currently a first sergeant with Richland County uh, Sheriff's Office, and we have had the, the good fortune of being able to work together on some law enforcement and disability interaction policy with Richland County Sheriff's Department uh, a few years ago. So welcome. Good to see you over Zoom, Sean. Uh, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for taking this time. We are We're really living in a unique moment right now as we see uh, the interactions of law enforcement under increased scrutiny as we see lives lost like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and many many more presumably as as a result of bias from law enforcement and and risk to uh, folks of color and people with disabilities and what we're hoping to to cover a little bit is a time to to hear your perspective from law enforcement and as a person who's black and and hear kind of the interaction of of where things are now and where things really could be and should be with acknowledging difference and also making sure that we're we're looking out for each other and protecting each other so with that i'm going to i'm going to open up pretty broadly and and let you share a little bit what's the perspective that you've gotten, what are, what are some of the things that you've been seeing inside law enforcement as we, as we navigate and have a larger conversation around race? Sure, so the narrative of racial indifference is not a new narrative, to be honest with you. It is not a new phenomenon that we were just discovering. And so I get a chance to speak from both perspectives, if you will, of uh, 24, years, uh, 24 years of experience in law enforcement working in uh, different areas such as major crimes, armed robbery, aggravated assaults. You know, you get a chance to see society from a different different space, if you will, and, and, and trying to understand human behavior. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it forces you to, to rely on instinct and to rely on your training, uh, which is a, a key factor that, I, you know, hopefully this conversation will uh, lead in that direction because at the end of the day, it's broken on both sides of the fence, and it's time that we we each take ownership of that to include, you know, citizens who who are fully aware of racial indifference, gender indifference, socioeconomic indifference, and and due to their silence, they've contributed to the the uh, the protracted conflict associated with indifference. And, and so we need to we need to do a better job at, at uh, understanding what our contribution is, and so and I look forward to the conversation. It's it's a difficult conversation to have, and so of course we have to be willing to hold it. We have to be willing to mutually learn on both sides of the fence. We have to be willing to allow space for emotion. You know that's crucial. If you don't allow space for emotion, 
please know that emotion will be heard one way or another. And when you're not allowing that space, you're, you're almost forcing the hand of those individuals who feel slighted. They know something's wrong. They can't put their finger on it. Uh, and that's what we're experiencing. You know, we're, we're experiencing whites in general uh, that typically can't seem to uh, separate themselves from this, this uh, statement, like, you know, I don't see color. So we, we clearly know that that's not true. <laughs> Uh, and it's I, I I think I know what they're trying to say in terms of that. Like I don't I don't see color. Well, you know, clearly to to not see color uh, is equivalent to if someone's in a wheelchair for you to say I don't see anyone that's handicapped or anyone that has a disability, right? So that's that's just unrealistic on a very basic fundamental level. And and although you may have good intentions, it's it's actually offensive to say that. You know, so if you don't see color, then that means that you don't see me because that my color is part of me. And so I think one of the things I've found throughout my walk within law enforcement is, and, and, and as a black man, that many times we pick and choose those battles in which we're willing to fight. And we pick and choose those battles based on our comfort zone and based on the familiarity factor, not being willing to not be willing to uh, extend ourselves beyond that. You know, I think that we're, this is the end result of it. We're, we're, we've been trained to believe that we should focus on uh, the differences. Uh, let's just be honest. You know, if you ask the average individual who's white in this country, if they would swap out their position for the position of anyone that's African American in this country, very few of them would, because they don't they don't can't put their finger on what's wrong, but they really they know something is different. You know, we can't suffer from what is known as the theory of attribution. We attribute certain behaviors to certain people or certain groups uh, and, and apply these parameters to them, such as, well, they're only like that because their home was broken. And we know that there are broken homes in, white co in the white culture and the African-American culture and in every culture, uh, there are broken homes. And so that theory attribution doesn't really apply to the uh, position of a lot of whites that say, well, slavery is over. Uh, well, I never owned any slaves and you were never a slave. And so why are we still holding that conversation? They, they think that we're, by discussing it, we're perpetuating the old narrative. Well, I wanna say this to you. To those individuals, number one, it's, it's offensive. To say that the Homestead Act had nothing to do with uh, the, the current socioeconomic positioning of whites today is, equivalent to saying that the original uh, creators of the phone had nothing to do with where we are with, uh, with the phone uh, and its usage today. You can't just, you can't separate the two. And so you can apply that to everything, anything, you know, we, our systems that are in place that there, there is systematic indifference, there is systematic racial indifference that prevent access to opportunity. It creates this, the presence of demoralizing stereotypes uh, for certain people. And again, not just racially driven, but also socioeconomic indifference. You know, we look down on those that don't have what we have, right? And so we have to, we have to be honest about that. You know, you, everyone knows, you know, the, the, the one set of cousins that may not have what you have, but yet, you know, we, we tend to, um, to think that that's okay and to be silent 
And lastly, I, th I think we all need to do a better job at realizing this one fact. Everyone is responsible for fixing and leaving this world better than how we found it. You don't get to just do it for your own race. You don't get just to stand by and, or your own gender or your own socioeconomic class. You don't get to do that. Yeah, you don't get to do that. And so if, it's, if there's a conflict, if there's a, a, an existing problem, you bear an obligation to take ownership of, of what your contribution is, even if it's silence. If you've you utilized silence when you heard the N-word and you said nothing, then you, that's your contribution. If you recognize that there were issues in military law enforcement, whatever field you're in as relates to gender or race, and you said nothing, well, that's your contribution. I'll end on that note, and I know I said a lot, but. Yeah, I think that's so important that that everyone take the time to find their role in the indifference, the, the racism, the ableism, whatever the ism is, and, and do the work that's necessary to address that, not make it somebody else's problem and not to, to make somebody else make you feel better or make you do or teach you something, but to, to really educate yourself and find your role and find ways to, to do better and, and elevate people as people and make sure that, that the footing is at least equal because of the, the systemic racism, ableism, transphobia, I mean, pick, pick a group, marginalized populations have been marginalized have been put down to a place where in order to reach equality we have to address all of these past inequalities and, sure. and acknowledge them and own them and move past them and i think that that's that's the challenge and i think what's what has been giving me hope in in my own work is seeing how communities are are coming together to a point to acknowledge each other and acknowledge where each group is coming from with with violence and and police brutality and the cases that we've heard i think they have stirred something in everyone and being able to see another human kind of looking back at you in the case of george floyd and hear the story of brianna taylor and ahmaud arbery uh, we have we have the same stories or or no story is the same but similar stories from inside the disability community from people of color and white people with disabilities too that are being targeted because of that difference or have received uh, a death sentence for for something incredibly minor that that should not have happened that way with cases like Mahad Chowdhury and Laquan McDonald and making sure that the stories have to be told and we have to do the the uncomfortable work of acknowledging how these biases really wreak havoc uh, across systems. I wonder if you'll if you'll comment a little bit. I think there's a lot of terms that people are using kind of in this space with these conversations. Tell tell our listeners a little bit around uh, your use of indifference as as kind of a term that defines what kind of what's at odds in society right now. Sure. So when I use the term racial indifference or indifference as a as a uh, general application, I am talking about that when indifference is fueled by implicit biases, you know, and, and not, not knowing what those implicit biases are can oftentimes manifest itself in the form of 
of, uh, of indifference. And it, it, you end up utilizing whatever position you're in, whether you're an employer uh, seeking to hire an interviewee and you begin to project your, your implicit bias and, and, and it, it evolves into the form of indifference. And next thing you know, that individual is not graded or considered uh, to the same degree as someone else that doesn't trigger your implicit bias. So I think that's in law enforcement. And, you know, first of all, training in law enforcement has got, we can talk about that again. Training has got a shift in law enforcement with respect to measurable tools in the area, measurable tools that are transparent in the form of pre and post exams during training to give us some sense of measurement with respect to proficiency and to see how agencies are scoring in the areas of cultural diversity, implicit bias training, adverse childhood experiences, and to be able to grade a, an, a, an agency uh, how comfortable would that be uh, to know that, you know, your loved one is traveling through a small town in Alabama and you discover that they are um, being pulled over in a traffic stop. And one quick search, you'll be able to find that they scored a, they're at 92 percentile, they're at the 92 percentile rate with respect to proficiency in the areas of cultural diversity. So you know that they're trained on it. It's just, it just creates discomfort. That's, that's needed throughout the country right now with respect to trusting law enforcement. So when I talk about indifference, I'm talking about the usage of implicit biases through the, the authoritative positioning of, of one's privilege or job or status. That's what I'm talking about. And, and that also comes in the form of gender indifference. Like oftentimes we'll, you know, you, you're hanging around the cooler with the, with the fellas and a female uh, employee will walk by and an inappropriate comment is made and you, you said nothing, you did nothing, you didn't, you know, you're, you're, you're just as guilty as the individual who made the comment. And so, yeah, that's what I mean by racial indifference. So when law enforcement began, and when they, when they start utilizing their position to, to effectively exercise their implicit biases, and so we need to know, they need to know what those are, you know, we need to, and give them an opportunity to, to, to be coached through it that's important that's so important you know you you're only you're, you're the sum of all of your experiences Robbie and if, if you're a white male that never had to be around uh, African-Americans before and now you're a police officer and as a result of six months worth of training you're now given the authority to engage and interact with people who culturally you're you're sincerely ignorant and with and knowing how to deal with them well, we need to know where you, where, where your limitations are so that we can train you through that. We need for you to identify what your implicit biases are. We need for that officer to see the need to move beyond their comfort zones and to seek understanding concerning other cultures, to include those, the culture of disabilities. You know, we're, we're not trained in that area like we should be across the board. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's a good bit of what we're hearing nationally around conversations um, that are that are termed defund the police and and often refer to kind of restructuring. How do we rethink policing? How do we give cops the tools that they would need to do their everyday work? 
is that a different title? I think we see a lot of a lot of community work that falls in something that it is kind of an emergency category that ends up being a law enforcement issue. If it's not fire, then it's law enforcement in a lot of cases. So that's, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of expectations from law enforcement to be able to interact with every last person and that there's a lot of expectation that that situation may be inherently dangerous. And that's not always the case. So I'm, I'm curious, I think we've seen training as, as a helpful tool in that. I think that there's, there have been some best practices put forth around training. And I, I really like the idea of having an attributable number and, and the public being able to see this law enforcement officer or this department has ranks highly or proficiently very well in kind of that cultural awareness and sensitivity. So gone, so it's gone are the days, Robbie, of hoping that they actually provide <laughs> sure. and hoping that, it, they, that the officers who are being trained internalize the training and then hoping that they know how to apply it uh, and allow it to become part of their daily routine. That we can, we can no longer just rely on that, you know. Respectfully, in good faith, we, you know, we're not training on those on those areas, and, and we need to do a better job at that. And we need to be able to measure it and hold them accountable for understanding and applying that in which they um, that they learned. And, and we're not doing that. We're not. We're not. We say that we are. And and I think when you open up the training curriculum to the public, you know, uh, I think that that level of transparency forces law enforcement to make some pretty sound decisions in how they uh, administer training and how they measure it. And, and, and more equally important, uh, what's equally important is the need to go back and train where there's a void. The need to go back and if someone scores in a 74 in the area of implicit bias or cultural diversity, then we don't need to hope that they'll eventually get it. We need to know that there's a practice, a, a methodology, if you will, that's in place that will ensure that that particular individual is going to get advanced training. And, and, and that particular individual is going to um, uh, be expected to, to meet a certain standard. You know, right now with our department, if you fail our PT test on the third try, you are terminated, you are fired. And so with the same sense of urgency and, and, and the same level of, 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 of importance that we apply to that, you know, to, to that, that aspect of our training, we need to apply it to the areas of, of, of being disability informed, being trauma informed, being informed as it relates to implicit biases, being informed as it relates to adverse childhood experiences and, 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 and stop riding the boat of, well, that was then, this is now. All right, so <laughs> I, I utilize the, uh, the, the, again, the, um, the analogy uh, of a track race. You know, if we're all in the same race and there, but there are two starting guns, one, allows one group of individuals to get ahead and to lap, to go two and three laps ahead. And then the other gun is for the, uh, uh, another group of individuals to pow, now you go. They, and then we're looking at them saying, catch up. 
you know, it's, it's just an unrealistic way of looking at how we have evolved as, as a society in this country. You know, one of the biggest gripes for a lot of um, whites is, you know, those who were, I guess the best way to say it is this, Africans were not brought here to, to seek the same. They were brought here as property. So now when slavery was abolished, now you have to, do, you know, what do you do with these individuals? You know, now they're just as educated. Now they have access to books now. You know, that, that was the reason why uh, if you were caught with a book in your hand that, you know, you can uh, suffer severe punishment. That was the reason because of what we're experiencing now. And, you know, we're, we're not going anywhere, you know, to be honest with you. We're going to live together. We're going to work together. We're going to move past uh, what, Martin Luther King coined as sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. And we're going to acknowledge how we've all created this problem, how we're all complicit in, in dealing with this, 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 this cultural cancer. There is one overall culture and that is the, the, the human culture. And we all share in that culture. We, we're, we're forced to engage with each other. And it's not, you know, it's just, we have to stop falling subject to what Antonio Gramsci uh, identified as hegemony, you know, and, and false consciousness and realize that we're all in the hamster cage <laughs> trying to figure out who's going to get on the wheel next. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think there's, in, in my observation, there's just been so much division and there's, there's kind of this attempt to draw lines between groups of people while there, while there are systemic issues, while there are institutions that have been built on premises of racism or ableism. The, the lines that we draw are, are the biggest part of what separates, is that we're, we have this opportunity to, to be human and to look out for each other and to care uh, and to find your role in, in other people's struggle and make sure that we're owning that role and covering that role and, and erasing the lines where they need to be gone and, and helping each other up where that's needed. And I think that that's what's really interesting in, in seeing a lot of the, the work that's taking place in communities across the country following the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery is that I think a lot of other rights groups, and, and again, that this other mentality is, is probably off, <laughs> but other, other marginalized groups are, are finding kind of that same thread of indifference, are finding that when, when there's one voice of, of rights, of human rights, that all boats can be lifted. There's uh, we have cases of individuals with disabilities that are black and and can see that outcomes are are worse, whether it's an academic outcome, employment outcome, earnings outcomes, or arrest rates. We see that where groups are marginalized and where they identify with multiple marginalized groups, there's there's even more barriers, and and that that can be especially challenging. Thank you guys for such an eye-opening interview. I learned a lot there that I'd never really thought about before. So thank you. Part two of the interview is going to be coming up next month 
for the access aisle. And like I told you before, we got some big news. So there's going to be some big changes happening to the access aisle in the new year. And we're really excited about it. We think you guys are really going to love it. And you're really going to appreciate what we're doing here. So please stay tuned for next month and for part two of the access aisle interview with for Robbie Cop and uh, First Sergeant Walter Sean McDaniel. And then we're going to give you a little bit more information coming up in the next episode. So stay tuned for episode two.